If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. really, really pleased to have Marilyn Coleman with us. Marilyn Coleman is Pragmatic's newest instructor. She's our newest data instructor, and she has over 15 years of experience in data analysis and business analytics, and she has a passion for empowering others to use data to organize and simplify what often appears to be chaotic and complex. And Marilyn teaches our courses, business-driven data analysis and data science for business leaders. So I'm going to now turn it over to you, Marilyn. Welcome. Welcome, Marilyn. Thank you, Susan. Well, to start off with, uh, welcome, everyone. Um, as Susan mentioned, we're here to talk about how you can gain executive buy-in for your data projects. Um, first, I'm sure we're all aware of how valuable data is for our organizations. Uh, it helps us better understand our clients by recognizing their demographics, their engagement, um, drivers to help us improve our acquisition and retention. Um, we use our data to demonstrate our progress towards business goals through creating metrics that can be measured and managed and identify places where we may need to um, focus our efforts on some other improvements. Um, we use data to improve our operational efficiency, um, maximizing productivity for staff, and using it to assess business unit performance. And we know that data aids us in decision-making by helping us become more informed about um, our business as we you know, dive into our processes and our, how our business functions. Um, and data impacts all areas of our business and it just helps us um, move the goal be more efficient, be more productive and profitable. So when we're talking about buy-in, we think about what exactly are we asking for, for from our executives? So it could cover a wide range of, of topics, including financial support, um, getting budget to complete your projects, uh, getting project support or sponsorship, having a champion on your team, that can help you get resources and also helping you clear roadblocks. And so when we're looking at what we're asking for and why, we also have to consider uh, short-term and ongoing needs because sometimes, a lot of times, our project isn't just finished when the official launch starts. There may be other things that we need to keep our data project moving, improving, um, one thing we always talk about is continuous improvement. So we have to consider the whole universe of what we need from our executives. So we all kind of have a feeling of how great it is to get support from our executives, but we also have to realize what can happen when we don't. So here I'm going to ask Susan, uh, we've talked a little bit about what happens when you don't have your buy-in. And if you could share an example of an experience you've, you'd have with the, with the group. 
Yes, unfortunately, I think I have had an experience uh, like the one that you're talking about, Marilyn. And as I was reflecting on the the webinar and the things we were going to um, talk about, a specific experience came to mind. And it it made me realize that sometimes when we have that executive buy-in, we don't we don't always appreciate the fact that we have it because things are going so well. Um, but sometimes if that executive buy-in is taken away from you, I mean, it, it, it stares you in the face. And for me, uh, I had an experience that made me understand how vital it was to have executive buy-in. Um, I was working with an organization a number of years ago, and I was working to really build a data culture. And we had made tremendous progress. The We had momentum in terms of the organization, um, people having buy-in into using data. We put some systems and processes in place. People were starting to use the data that um, they had available to them. Things were, were going quite well. And there was a change in leadership. And um, the, the person that came in was very clear with us that he didn't really believe that data was important. And I don't know if today, nowadays, anybody would say that. This was a number of years ago. Um, but everything came to a screeching halt. You know, the, the momentum um, stopped, morale dropped. We, we had, had a time where we were kind of spinning our wheels. And it really, what it pointed out to me was something that I always intellectually knew, that yes, the, the executive buy-in is key. Um, but it really, it really brought the idea home to me. And I have to say that, well, I told you this was a number of years ago. I wish I had known and done some of the things that Marilyn will talk about today. But um, it just underscored to me how vital it is to have the buy-in from the top or from the person who can make things happen. So I can't wait for you to hear about some of the things Marilyn's going <laughs> to suggest today. Thank you so much, Susan. Um, so as Susan said, there's been a lot of obstacles when you don't have buy-in. And what we're going to do next is we want you to think a little bit about some obstacles you may have gone through when doing a data project or in your work. And so we have a quick poll for you on Menti. So the poll is asking you, what, what kind of obstacles have you faced in getting support for your data projects? And we also have a link directly to the poll in the chat. You see misalignment of effort and time expectations. That's a great one. Not having good access to data. Buying is difficult. Yep, I understand that. Trust in the data, acquiring funding, technology, lack of investment in data, team resources, cost of time, money versus benefit. Um, the data we have is good enough. That's that's a great example. And not aligning with the priorities, another great example. Funding. These are all really, really great examples. And thank you for sharing in our webinar some of the uh, obstacles you faced. So we're going to continue and I'm going to share with you some of the obstacles that we've come up with, including um, lack of data literacy maturity, a lack of understanding and trust in data. Unfortunately, that's happening a lot for, for people. Fear of exposure of shortcomings. And that it means that, you know, some of the leadership may be afraid of what the data might be showing them. 
So they would rather not support your project if they believe they're going to be exposed as having mistakes or not having a really solid process or even losing money for the company. Um, another is lack of communication between data analytics advocates and C-suite, uh, privacy, uh, security and compliance concerns, lack of strategy and tools. Um, and, and one example of that is it could go either way, either, you know, they could lack the resources that they need to have a really robust and complete project, but also you know, I found that people don't know how to use the tool they already have and look for the next new shiny thing um, when the thing they had already would have worked had they understood how. And I always speak to how powerful Excel is. It does a lot more than what people think it does. But instead of learning how Excel can work for you, they look elsewhere and they kind of have to build a new uh, new support for purchasing this new tool and training users and ongoing support. Um, so it kind of speaks to not having a strategy for your suite of tools that you have. And then the final thing we have here is presentation of numbers versus insights. And so for this, you know, we may have charts and reports that people have just run because they've always done it. And there may be a lot of detail that does not really connect to a business strategy at an ex executive level. And it's easy for people to check out and lose interest in all these, these presentations and, and numbers and charts. Um, but they need to effectively show how data can be used for improvements across the organization and to build on the business goals. So some of the key points that we need to address when seeking executive support can be boiled down into three strategies. The first is credibility, meaning, you know, does your team have a reputation within the organization that fosters trust? So, you know, how do you build the credibility that you need to even have these conversations? Um, you need to know that you're speaking a language to your stakeholder that they can understand. And a lot of times that's you know, summarizing or distilling the information and, and speaking to them in a way that is, is not overwhelming, like all the detail you may have and you have access to. With concerns, you'll need to be able to proactively assess potential concerns and risks and have some kind of plan to mitigate that, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And that kind of helps build their trust, knowing that you're thinking about what is important to them. And then with comfort level, you need to be able to demonstrate that, you know, you've been successful in similar or related projects, and that will ensure a high level of comfort with the executives. So what we are going to present to you are some actionable steps that lead to successful executive partnerships. So first is understand your audience. Um, then you determine the appropriate path you're going to take, planning the expected outcome and next steps, and then leveraging additional support. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into each of these points. So to understand your audience, you know, you need to think about whose support are you seeking and why? Is it 
senior management? Is it executive director? Is it C-suite or, or all of the above? And understanding, you know, whether your hierarchy structure kind of provides you access uh, to, to these people, or do you need a, to partner with someone um, or act as your representative? And in doing that, you need to understand what are these people's responsibilities and objectives? Think about why this project should matter to them and what their potential concerns may be. And so there, there has to be a good reason for them to want to do this um, and then provide them with the why. State your case and think about how this could be meaningful for what they need. Also think about how it will benefit the business and, and the person. So there's a risk and a reward. Determine the appropriate path for this project and the people that you need to speak with to get their support. So again, we want to always keep the business goal in mind, but also there could be a potential personal gain for that person. So, you know, always think what may they think is in it for them. Consider what they may need from this. And then in addition to convincing people to act, you can also share the potential risk of not acting. So that would be the threat of doing nothing. So one example is, you know, if someone is postponing an important decision or avoiding a process or business change, that could lead to snowballing of financial loss, um, continuing to be inefficient in the use of your, your resources, um, and the organization could fall behind in their ability to use more updated technologies and miss some opportunities to upskill the workforce. So in, in a previous role that I had, we worked very hard to eliminate as much manual work from people running reports and copying, pasting data across spreadsheets and kind of transforming the data for them so they could do less manual work and spend more time thinking about their, their business and how it affects, you know, the bottom line of the company. So they were able to free their minds from a lot of mundane tasks and also spend more time thinking about how they could improve the work that they were doing. So if we didn't work on this project, there would still be dozens of people spending all day just copying and pasting out of Excel, and it would be a, a gross misuse of their talent and, and their resources. Um, and this could be very closely related to a personal benefit as of being seen as an innovative leader that can adapt easily to the changing business needs. So when you plan your expected outcome and next steps, you would need to be prepared with an initial assessment of those potential concerns. Uh, understand what's the level of complexity for this topic, for this project, and know that if there's some controversy that could be involved that you need to steer either around or maybe steer through it, depending on what it is, and think about, you know, likely roadblocks. One example that I have for that is, you know, we had a, one of our products had a very, um, demanding and visible clients and the work we were doing would require you know an a manual um an annual update to some of the um, things on the back end 
And we presented a plan that would eliminate the need to do a lot of um, workarounds and band-aids and patching every year, but it would require more time and resources than the client was willing to pay. So we kind of knew that would happen, but we were able to articulate very clearly what was absolutely necessary versus what could be tabled for a, a next year and kind of talk about the risk of not doing what we were, were proposing. And so we ended up, you know, completing about, I'll say 80% of what we really, really wanted, but we also made it known that we did have a plan and in the future, what we were doing would have made a major difference down the line if they were willing to consider the entirety of what we wanted to do. The next point here is, is plan to co collect data for metrics and measuring outcomes. Um, this what you're showing that you're preparing to prove your point about your, your project long-term. So it's not just about getting the funding, getting the support for a one-time deal, but you're going to look at how your process, how your project is performing and, you know, make a plan to look into that performance, make some changes in it. And with leveraging additional support, whether you have direct access to your executives or not, you, you'll still need supporters that can influence them by, you know, sharing what they understand about your project. So you want to be able to um, look for people who've had the same success you want to achieve and then identify these influencers without, within the business. Um, sometimes you want someone from outside the organization and they can help you if you pre-sell your plan to the influencers with your logic, examples, and analysis. These people may be in spaces that you're not in and be able to speak to the executives either on your behalf officially or unofficially by you know, kind of touting the, the value that you bring. And your influencer can help you get assistance with example projects. Uh, they can help build consensus around the path forward that you should take. Um, they may know others who have taken similar paths and been successful in the past. And your influencer should give you an honest assessment of your team's standing and credibility within the organization. They should also be familiar with the executive leadership and communication styles, going to help you translate and, and speak that same language. And they can also brief you on any political issues, office controversies, prior histories, risks, um, sometimes We've heard of people trying to create something in one area that has already been tried and not been terribly successful in another area years before. And it's important that people gather these key influencers to kind of help them either decide whether they should move forward or understand what the issues were with prior similar projects before they try to present these to an executive and have you know, suffered the same fate as a prior uh, attempt. So preparation is key here. So you would want to plan in advance what you expect 
and what you want your next steps to be. So the most important thing is to prove that your plan is feasible, build a timeline, think of the contingencies and alternatives, and then note that the process is iterative. It's not necessarily a one-time presentation of um, what you want to do. It's thinking through as you talk to the executives, as you talk to your team, your influencers, you may need to make some adjustments. Um, You may need to go through a cycle where you're thinking through how you're defining what your problem is, um, looking at what you have available, what resources, and you may need to adjust have ongoing reviews, think of how you may need to adapt your plan based on your feedback that you're getting. And I'd say a lot of my time working in operations has been um, helping my next level management prepare the plans that they need to take to the senior executives. So it's important to to really speak to others in in your organization um, one, because you could be helping each other. And two, um, having that, that repository in your mind of what has been happening and where you should go next with your next projects helps greatly in, in preparing and understanding what is feasible for you uh, going forward. So there are a few different approaches you can take when seeking um, buy-in from your executives, and they range from less to more involved, uh, depending on the the strategy. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, proactive, which is kind of getting ideas to the executive early in the start of the, in the project, getting their input, getting their thoughts, and and getting them involved as a co-owner. Involved will be more about their function during the project, acting as an involved party with varying levels of of participation, depending on their role and expertise. And then reactive is more about how you would provide them with information, proving that you are capable of doing this project. It does not have to be one or the other. It could be a combination of all of these things. And we'll see in more detail next some of these examples. So for a proactive approach, this can be giving them a heads up about what you want to do with your project before anything starts. It could be before getting approval, but just letting them be involved by kind of giving them the first look into what you want to do. Another is getting their input to help shape what you want to do with your project. Uh, So then they're feeling like their ownership is is related to them actually, you know, having contributed to building this project. And then ongoing updates. So as you're working through um, what your plan is, you keep them informed um, of what you're intending to do. And that gives them another opportunity to give you some feedback. So these these, uh, um, tactics would be before you really start diving into doing the actual work. If they're going to be involved, then it provides them an opportunity to have an active seat at the table during the project. So 
even though this is you you would have gotten their buy-in by now, what you can do is, you know, offer them the promise of involvement as part of your pitch for getting their buy-in. So um, you can have either them or someone they assign be a core team member um, who's actively participating hands-on throughout the project. Um, you can have them or a designated person be an extended team member, which is a, a, an SME or a subject matter expert who is regularly consulted for input, but may not have as much uh, involvement as a core team member. And then a steering committee member is someone who could provide a strategic direction for your project and have, you know, maybe a little less hands-on than the other two uh, team memberships. And for a reactive approach, um, this is where you would spend a lot of time to um, actively try to state your case and prove that your project is worthy of support. This is where I've spent a lot of time, again, in my past, kind of collecting a library of of examples and thinking through how we would convince someone that what what we're doing works and that either they should try it or they should get us to help them try. So, you know, logic is that you're just reasoning with people about what can be done, showing your work, showing the steps that would lead to presenting your methodology and the results of the analysis that you've done with your projects, examples, you know, showing examples of prior similar projects, whether it's something you've done yourself or something that your, your influencer has shared or helped you collect, you know, again, showing your results. One thing that I was able to do was do a company-wide presentation on uh, what I called um, applied analytics. So we walked everyone through a brief description of what our business unit does, how our business unit collects data, how we use the systems that we used. Um, and then we had a few of the people within our unit, um, you know, either the management team or someone who was very, very involved in doing some of the analysis using the tools that we created. And each person had a very different example of what they use the data and the tools for and very, very effectively stated what the benefit of the data was and also where they would have been without it. So that leads back to addressing the fear of doing nothing. So if you have someone who can help share with you how valuable having the data is, but also how detrimental it would be to not have this project done. That's a really, really strong um, partner to have when you're trying to present um, your results and show your logic and why this project should be done. Again, that leads again into the experience. Um, so not only do you want to have, you know, an example of what you can do, it's also very beneficial to show how well you work with others. And that's part of the experience because in, in my view, 
working in data analytics and business analytics, it's not just about the person who's doing the coding, sitting and querying a database or running their statistical um, program. You have to interact well with the people in your business or, you know, it, 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 it just doesn't work as well. So the real value here is communication and collaboration with the people who are going to use your product. So the final example of the reactive approach is festing. And so our team talked about some fun uh, examples of that. And one is, you know, talking about the, the movie Ford versus Ferrari, where, you know, Matt Damon's character takes, uh, Shelby takes Henry Ford on a spin around this track to overwhelm him with this car's power. They're trying to get Ford to, to buy into their plan for, you know, this racing. And so Ford ends up crying at the end of the lap saying, I had no idea. And so what that did was leave no doubt that he should support Shelby's plans. And so what Besting did was really go way to the extreme to show how amazing this car was. And, you know, there was no way to, to convince him by telling him. So they had to put him in the car, throw him around the track. And at the end, he just was completely overwhelmed by how incredible this power in this car was. So we're not saying that you should leave your executives in tears with how amazing your experience is. But um, if it works, then, you know, I, I personally would, would support you doing that. Another thing, like, Every, every dance battle movie from the 80s and 90s has a crew that has to prove to their rivals and to the judges how amazing they are. And in every one of these movies, they just overwhelm their competitors and their judges with their skills. So, you know, besting doesn't have to be that extreme or ridiculous. But if you think of what is the absolute best thing you could do to leave no doubt in the mind of the person you are trying to um, connect with, get support from, then start at the top and then see how you can get that person to buy into your uh, experience and your skill and your ability to do this project. So what you want to do is lead by example. So we talked about you know, ways you can demonstrate what you can do with certain examples. What you, you want to do is think of things that either you have done personally, your group, across the organization, similar projects. You may need to reach out to an external source. Uh, a lot of times, um, if you attend webinars, you may be able to connect with other people who do similar work. Um, find, you know, groups perhaps in LinkedIn, uh, where you have a, a common goal and, and maybe these people can help you get started with finding examples. They could tell you if they've been successful, any issues they may have had in their projects. If you have guest speakers come to your company, you can connect with them. So the external sources may be good in finding a different way to do something than what your organization is, is, is accustomed to as well. And then you may want to consider conducting 
a proof of concept, which is a smaller scale project that can help determine the feasibility of what you may want to do at a smaller scale. So in a past role, we've had um, people work with our IT department, and I've sat in on some of the projects that they've done where they have a vendor come in. Um, sometimes it could be Microsoft or some other technical vendor and help set up the environment, um, provide training and tools and technical support. And we, we were assigned, um, again, a subject matter expert that could help work through the, the roadblocks, work through some of the issues we may have had without it being something that affected our production environment. Um, it was kind of a, a, a safer way to experiment with some of the tools. Sometimes it was a new tool. Sometimes it was using an existing tool in a different way. And at the end of the proof of concept, they provided a report, very detailed about how the project went, what could have been done better or differently. And then you could use that to go forward with getting support or know that maybe you may need to take a different path. But having that vendor um, and those experts be a part of that project, it lends a lot of credibility and it helps you learn more about how to kick off an actual production um, project. So. It's kind of done off kind of away from all your 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 production environment. So um, it's a really great learning experience if that's something that's appropriate for the kind of uh, project that you want to do. And all of these choices require that you be prepared to assess the risk versus reward. Um, talk about what issues could arise, how they were resolved, what could have been done differently. And then that also will help build that credibility and confidence with the executives. And so what we have here is the data insights model for Pragmatic that is the foundation for our business-driven data analysis course that I teach and I taught Susan. What this is, it's a clear process that guides you through your data projects. The model helps in understanding your stakeholders, having your stakeholders understand what you need and gives clarity on specific ways that you and your data team can add value to the process. So the first phase is define, where you're focusing on clearly defining the business problem that you need to solve with data before you start working on it. So here you want to make sure that you and your stakeholders have a very, very clear understanding of where you want to start and make sure you're speaking the same language and that you know before you go into analysis that you are on the same page. In the prepare phase, that's where you explore the data that you have available and the most useful methods that you have for analysis. Um, here's also where you would do your data wrangling or cleaning and find it if there's some outside data that you can use or if there is some 
some organizational process that may stand in the way of what you believed you could do during that defined phase. During the refined phase is where you take your knowledge from the previous two phases and decide whether or not you have to revise your question based and your expectations based on what the data that are available, any any changes that have happened, um, any roadblocks, any anything that needs to be adjusted. You can go back and make some adjustments to your business question and analyze, even though you've been doing what we mostly understand to be analysis through these other phases, this analyzed phase in the insights model is where you will work on finding the model that gets you the most effective, actionable insight. So you're going to look at what you have and decide what can I get from this data, this analysis that I've done that will be most effective in highlighting the business problem that we needed to solve. And in the present phase is where you will communicate what actionable insights that you found to your stakeholders and discuss the next steps. So this is really where, you know, the culmination of all the work you've done comes together and you're presenting your findings, whatever detail is appropriate for this level to your stakeholders, making sure that it's done in a way that they can process it, and move on to whatever decision needs to be made following this. So using a methodology such as this that is flexible, repeatable, scalable is the key to building that confidence and credibility that you need to grow a a really good relationship with your executive leadership teams. And so this course, Business Driven Data Analysis, is a great way to bridge the gap between your data and business teams. Um, again, this is a repeatable approach. You can leverage across data projects and tool, ste- tool sets, you know, helping you identify the right question, the right data, optimizing your results, and communicating effectively to ensure that your stakeholders are aligned with what your data team needs to do. And so I, I will say that in the last cohort that we taught, some of our our, our students said they were even using some of these techniques just in their communications through email. So they really have seen a big difference in how they are connecting with their stakeholders. Um, and if you would like to join us, our next uh, public class starts uh, March 27th. Thank you very much, Marilyn. That was incredibly informative and I think really useful. Um, the strategies and kind of the approaches you presented, I think are ones that will really help us as we, well, as we not as we design our data projects, but as we just, it's just essential to get that support if we want to hit the ground running and be successful. So we have some time, um, about 14 minutes for questions and answers. So I encourage you to write any questions you might have in the in the Q&A. We'll keep an eye on out for that. But I'd like to mention or you know, a comment that was put in the chat, or Peter actually wrote in the chat, and I thought I'd maybe ask you something about one of the, uh, the comments, Marilyn. Um, this has to do when you were when you were talking about the different approaches to use when working with or um, collaborating with or 
to get executive buy-in, the proactive, the involved, and the reactive. And um, Peter wrote that he's fearful based on prior experience of reactive. I more often failed repeatedly there. And I'm wondering about what your experience has been with the reactive approach. Would you consider this to be like your last, the, the approach of last choice or resort? Or do you have this similar experience that maybe this might be a little more risky than the, the first two approaches? I feel like it, it, it really depends on who I'm dealing with. There have been times where the reactive just was not going to resonate with the person we were trying to present to because they didn't understand. So we needed that influencer to prop, to help us go back and do some of those proactive steps in advance. So having that person who could understand that stakeholder and know whether or not our other approaches would be effective was really, really helpful. And I, I wish I could say that it always was successful. Again, I think a lot of times people were fearful of what the data would show them. And that, that I think, was the most common when we were dealing with someone who was resistant. One, they didn't understand. And two, they were afraid to understand. Um, so we, we just kind of had to keep chipping away at it slowly, but with getting, you know, management support, getting someone involved from the top down in their part of the organization. So we maybe, I don't want to say it like we had to work around them, but we did and probably convinced someone else who had influence on that person through these other means. So it was getting my manager to convince their manager to listen, um, get buy-in from someone else. You know, it wasn't always someone at the top. So if it's a top-level executive who just isn't listening, it would require a lot of influencer support uh, and it would take time to build that coalition of people who could kind of help you get to, to, to where that person may be a little more open to listen. I hope that, uh, that was helpful. Yeah. Uh, it was, I think it was very helpful. I mean, a lot of great points you made there, you know, first you, you mentioned how it depends on the situation, you know, so you need to consider the situation and the people that you're dealing with. Um, also the, fact that time it, you, you it takes time depending yes. on kind of the level of resistance and where things are and I from my experience I agree with you about the the importance or the usefulness of that influencer you know I, I usually I call them allies and I agree there yes. they could be you know kind of at the same level as you they don't have to be at higher level um, but they can be so so powerful and I think just like all of us, sometimes the executive um, leader will hear something differently when it comes from someone else. Um, that influencer might be saying the same thing exactly that you were, but maybe they hear it differently. And um, it, it's very, very useful. Yes. So thank you. I think I have another question, um, and that is, one challenge I've had in the past was the desire for the executive stakeholder to have a defined launch or delivery date for data projects, but they don't have the same consideration and gener generosity as they do with agile innovation projects. Have you ever seen that? 
And a follow-up question is, and how do you stretch their expectations to include more of an agile delivery? We worked a little bit with agile methodology near the end of my uh, time at my last company. And it didn't always fit the way I wanted it to because I was used to a lot of freedom. Uh, but if you had an, someone who was designated the agile expert, if there's a way to, to get that person to help you, I'd say build some of that language into what you want to do. I mean, it, it, it depends. <laughs> I think what we, we've done is have a date for a launch, but try to make it known that the project doesn't just stop on the launch date because you're finding, you know, potential issues, places for improvement. Users need training. Once you discover things in your data, that's where that iterative methodology comes in is that the whole point of it is that you found some insight that changes your, your, your outlook on your business. And that may require another change to your data project because of what you found. So we, we, we were able to eventually at least help them understand that that's what should happen, whether or not they were always open to funding or get it, getting us the resources for that. And if we didn't have the resources, then part of my job was to say, well, if you want something changed, because of now what we found, there's a certain amount that I could do, but if you really want it done right, you have to find the funding and the support to do this again. So I just don't think enough people understand that your project's never really finished just because you have released it the first time. And I'm not sure what exactly to do about that, <laughs> but I, I've, I've seen it. Um, it's very true. Um, you've learned so much along the way. Even when you think you're done, you've launched, you might wish you were done. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> undoubtedly, you're probably not completely done. So thank yes. you. <laughs> Another a question that I'm wondering about, um, you mentioned a number of really excellent things to do, um, to think about and to do to secure this buy-in. Are there any things that you think should absolutely be avoided? Like anything, don't do this if you want to secure executive buy-in. I'd say on the, on the office politic side of things, I would not bypass anyone's management if my organizational structure does not support that. There may be people who really need for you to go through the hierarchy. And there's certain times where, you know, I've had a, you know, a different relationship with someone because maybe I reported to them and they moved up the chain. But I would never bypass my manager to go directly to his VP to say what my idea is without his involvement or including him in in the plan. A lot of times I would just prefer to give it to him and then he just say it, but there could be some, some treacherous waters in trying to go directly to someone without knowing politically how that may have been. That's so true. And that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking as I was reflecting, I'm like, don't go over anybody's head. <laughs> you know, that could be dangerous. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, another great point in the chat. Um, it's, 
is in relation to the the agile approach and the the need for iteration that you stated, Marilyn. Um, communicate the new insights, you know, that it's evolving with stakeholders because it does. And mm-hmm. have realistic consideration with funding limits. Um, but this is probably on both of our parts, right? <laughs> the yes. analyst and the and the executive uh, leader. I like the use of the term evolving. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, if we don't have any other questions, I think that we'll probably, you know, wrap things up right now. Thank you very much, Marilyn, for your expertise, for sharing your experience. Um, I hope for everybody who's attended today that this has been really useful for you. I think that the the approaches and the steps that Marilyn outlined in great detail, I think they're they're very valuable for making sure that you have the planning and the forethought that is needed before you well, before you embark on a a project, but as you're planning as well. And I think that the if you follow these steps, you're um, much more likely to get executive buy-in than if you didn't follow these steps. So um, I encourage you to try what Marilyn has outlined for us today. So thank you very much. Have a good rest of your day. <music>